Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful just for the, the blessing it is to meet as a community on a Friday night, Lord, just to come around the name of Jesus and fellowship as your family, as your, as your uh, sons and daughters and as brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. Uh, thank you for the wonderful worship of David and Leah Souter. Uh, thank you just for the atmosphere of worship that is released when they minister and just how we can feel your nearness. And we just pray that as we look to your word, we would continue in that very same attitude of worship and that you would instruct us through your word and that you would even teach us the lessons that we glean from the first outpouring at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Lord, there's things that you want to teach us for the 21st century, 2,000 years later, things we can learn from this passage And so, Holy Spirit, make them real to us tonight. Lord, I am just a person. I need your grace. Help me to communicate what is on your heart, Lord Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, so some may not know, but this Sunday, once a year, it's Pentecost Sunday. And, you know, we take time every year. Uh, some churches follow the church calendar very uh, specifically, and most churches kind of check in at Easter and Christmas. Um, but there's uh, liturgical churches that kind of go, you know, this is what we're doing every week. And But so once a year, we as Charismatics and Pentecostals, I would I'm definitely of that persuasion, and many House of Prayer folks are. We kind of jump into the church calendar without knowing it, and we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And so, you know, we rightly celebrate Christmas. That's when Christ was born. We, you know, when Easter comes around, we talk about the death of Christ. Those are huge events in the history of the church but I would say Pentecost Sunday is up there as well. We, we can't ignore that. So once a year, we kind of have a chance to, you know, really go, what, what was that all about? Let's talk about that. And so I actually had a number of things on my heart, and I felt like the Spirit give that nudge, saying, talk about me. <laughs> talk about Pentecost uh, this, this Friday. And just so everyone has a kind of a reminder, there's an event this Sunday at Tower Park in Peoria Heights, um, led by a number of ministries. Many of them were here this past Friday. So Arise 309, uh, led by a whole team, Adam Moser, Bob C., Andrew Nuyi, uh, uh Brother Ryan. They're all going to be out there at Tower Park and they're just going to have a Holy Ghost blowout. And so if you want uh, to kind of mix it up on Sunday night with the Lord and see the Spirit moving, be out at the heights at the giant red tower. They're going to be there. 
Uh, and I think this is, some of you have been there in the past, this, this is something they do every year maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's going on this Sunday. I just wanted to kind of plug that. I didn't have that on my notes, but so that's, uh, you know, we want to be charismatic every day of the week and every Sunday, but this Sunday in particular, there's going to be some some converging and praying into that. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there, but but we we rightly should focus on what happened 2,000 years ago on, on Pentecost. And my bullet there under the introduction, the second bullet, just want to briefly explain Pentecost. Uh, the first... New Testament Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was poured out for the first time. Um, Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people in a limited measure at various times. So prophets would have the Spirit come upon them. Or, you know, someone who wasn't a prophet, even King Saul at one point was among the prophets and the Lord came on him and he prophesied. So that's happened throughout biblical history, but when we get to the New Testament, something unique happens. Uh, Right at that prayer meeting that we're going to talk about, it's the first time the Spirit was poured out and then indwelt believers. And so there was a coming upon throughout church or throughout the history of Israel from, you know, the days of Moses forward to Malachi. But the Spirit had never indwelt a human being until this moment. So there wasn't just like a crazy outpouring and speaking in tongues. That was amazing. But the Holy Spirit came to live inside genuine believers. And that is a a crazy theological point that we could talk for days about. So if you tonight know Jesus... You don't just have a, like a, the Spirit come on you at times. The Spirit is in you, indwelling you forever. And so we don't just you know, have the anointing come on us when God wants to prophesy a prophetic word. We have the anointing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and some believers don't know that. And they, they, I, when I got saved, I didn't feel nothing. Well, when you believed... You are instantaneously sealed with the Holy Spirit and you have God himself inside of you. And so when we talk about Pentecost, we're not just talking about speaking in tongues. That's important. Or the Spirit being poured out and tongues of fire. That's awesome. But there is a theological reality. We were sealed and that, that inner sealing, that spirit of God coming in us is God's way of saying, you're mine and I'm going to keep you to the end and we're going to be together forever. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but when Jesus in his earthly ministry, he shocked his disciples and he, he said, I'm not going to be here physically always. And he said, but there's coming a moment, it's actually going to be better that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And I've said this many times, if if Jesus told me, you know, here's Jesus, you know, physically in the flesh and he's God and he says to me, hey, Derek, I know we've been hanging out for three years and doing ministry, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send to you an invisible spirit who will live in you and it will be better than, than me being here. I would... I would doubt his wisdom. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's better to have a real person who can just say, Derek, do this. 
Derek, do that. And okay, yes, sir. But actually, it's better for us that there is an internal witness subtly guiding us throughout life than Jesus over our shoulder going, hey, turn right. Hey, you... It's better, and, and there's a number of reasons. One of them is Jesus can't be physically all over the earth guiding billions of people. So he started the initial movement with 12, and then it rapidly expanded. And then he says, I, I can't be at everything, so I'm going to leave, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is going to be inside of believers giving them witness. Here's how you live for Jesus. And of course, we have the Word of God that is the, you know, the final word on faith and practice, but the Spirit gives us life to live this stuff. See, Christianity without the Spirit is just dead. Christianity without that extra life, it's just we need more than just the, the letter of the law. I mean, that's been proven throughout the, the history of the Bible. We need God helping us to live what God told us to do. And that's, that's what the ministry of the Spirit came to do. I'm getting way ahead of myself as usual. Let me just give one more introductory point. The subject of the Holy Spirit or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a word to it. You can impress your friends with this. <laughs> the, the, the literal word for, this, for the study of the Holy Spirit, it's called pneumatology. We're not going to talk about fancy theological words tonight, but if you ever want to impress somebody, like, hey, have you been studying pneumatology lately? Because I haven't either, but I just, you know, I wanted to say that. No, that's just a neat word that means the study of the Holy Spirit. So technically, we're doing pneumatology tonight, but I wouldn't tell people because they'd be like, what church is, what, oh, what are you talking about over there? But that's just the fancy word that all the smart people use. You can impress someone with it, but... This subject, whether you call it pneumatology or studying the Holy Spirit or the doctrine of the Spirit, this is very significant. Um, some people say, well, I'm into the Father. And other people say, well, I'm really into Jesus. And then there's other, well, I'm into the Spirit. Well, I got news for all of us. It is the same God. One God as Christians we worship expressed as three persons. So we don't pick who we're into we worship God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not one-third God. They're all fully God. And so some people go, well, the Holy Spirit, isn't he like third on the list? Do we really even need that guy? We got Jesus who died for us, and we love the Father. And I don't know about the Holy Spirit. And so don't, don't think of it as like he's third place. No, he's the third person of the Trinity. It's not third place. And so the Holy Spirit is as majestic and eternal as the Son and as the Father. They're not the same, but they are one God. And that's, I don't want to talk too much doctrine tonight, but I feel like if we're going to talk about the Spirit, I want us to have sort of a basic understanding, um, uh, just, just a few thoughts that uh, the Holy Spirit, this is, this is a big deal. Um, the Holy Spirit, again, it's not like a junior-sized, you know, little, like, little kid of the Trinity. This is very important to know the Spirit. He is one of the persons of the Trinity, so we can know Him. We can fellowship with Him. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can be blessed and honored. And so there's a lot to learn um, about 
the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about a few lessons that we learn when the Spirit first shows up in this dramatic way. I, I would love to do four or five or six weeks on these two chapters and just unpack it. But we don't have that much time, so I'm just going to condense this as much as I can into just three quick lessons. Okay, so we're going to really go through a lot here. If you open up to Acts chapter 1, maybe you got your app there, or you got your Bible maybe, I'm just going to do a little bit of reading just to get us uh, a little bit up to speed here. But the first lesson that I would like to share tonight is how Jesus leads his church. The first, I mean, this is so amazing. One of the ways Jesus leads his church, which is me and you and, you know, churches in our city, churches around the world, is he makes promises and then he fulfills them and then we go, God's faithful. Oh my goodness. Like he said it, he did it. Oh my goodness, we want to worship more. We want to follow him more. We want to serve him. He set it back here. It came. It was better than we imagined. And so we're all in again. And that's how the Lord leads. He doesn't, um, he doesn't just completely give it up to you guys figure it out. One of the most significant things we learn here is we see that in the ministry of Jesus, he keeps saying things like, hey guys, I'm leaving, but I'm gonna send the promise. Hey guys, it's gonna be different, but there's a helper coming. Hey guys, there's gonna be a moment where you're sorrowful, but there's the spirit of truth coming. And so he would make these statements throughout his ministry and all the disciples would go, what? What are you, you said this and that, and we don't know what's going on and kind of the things we do. And he knows that's going to be the response. And then he fulfills what he said. And then they all go, oh, my gosh, that's what that was. And so this is one of the more dramatic fulfillments of one of the things he promised. Excuse me. So we start in Acts chapter 1. He says the, the former account, this is Luke writing the book of Acts. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Luke begins... He's basically saying that, you know, Jesus ministered. There was a time where he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then he began to appear to people. During a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared, and we don't have almost any of those details. I would love to hear the stories one day. But he made many, like, face-to-face meetings with people during a 40-day period, and he taught about the kingdom of God. One of those appearances was on the road to Emmaus. You guys know that story. They're just walking down the street, and Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? How, you know, he was totally sly like that. I just think, what a, what, a, what a story. And so kind of that's the introduction. And then in verse 4, it says this, and being assembled together with them, 
So this is one of the moments of during those 40 days, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I mean, imagine you're one of the disciples, the person you love and followed for three years died and came back to life. Okay, that's a shock. And now he's having little conferences all over. Like, what is happening? You know, if that was you back then, you just, I would be the guy like, what is, is this real life? <laughs> no one dies and comes back to life. Like, this must be God. You know, there's just so many shocks to the system happening so often. And he's, you know, having a road to Emmaus experience and talking to this guy and appearing to the women over here. And he's just doing everything. And then he says, hey, I want you guys not to leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait because there's a promise coming. And he'd been talking about this. He reiterates what he said in the past. He says, John the Baptist, uh, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so they don't even know what's about to hit him. He just says, I want you guys to wait. The promise is coming. And so that's that's lesson number one that I think is crucial is there's going to be seasons where there's like, Lord, you promised something. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just know that you spoke it. And so there's a promise and there's a waiting and there's a fulfillment. But what we do during the waiting, which we're going to look at next, is kind of the, the, the next lesson he wants us to get. There's a role we have. And so Jesus, he leads by these promise fulfillment kind of seasons, okay? And so some people, you're in kind of a, you're getting all these prophetic words, you're getting all these promises. And, and again, this is like the ultimate promise fulfillment right here in Acts chapter one and two, but there's many like smaller versions of that that the Lord does in our life. Okay, some go, well, that's the one, that there's one promise and the promise came. No, the, the, that's just a, like kind of at a macro level. That's one of the huge breakthroughs. Yeah, turn that thing up if you need it. But what I found in my own journey and what I found in, in many experiences is the Lord, he does give many of these little indications and then years go by, you pray into it, you, you know, this and that, and then breakthrough comes. And there's a fulfillment, and then more promises, and then more fulfillment. It's just kind of a back and forth throughout our life. So that's something that we always want to remember about, about the Lord and how he leads us. Again, you might be in more of a promise season. Maybe you're seeing fulfillments of promises in this season. Maybe you're kind of in the waiting. We do a lot of waiting. But let's go to number two and let's talk about waiting. So number one, the nature of Jesus' leadership. He makes promises and he fulfills them and we go, wow. But this is significant as well. Equally as significant is what is our role? Okay, the Lord made a promise. What do we do? What did they do in the Bible? So this is so crucial because sometimes we go, okay, God, all these prophetic words, all these things I think you're going to do and we're believing for revival in the earth and, you know, all this stuff. And Acts 1.14, 
What did the disciples interpret wait to mean? This is so significant. They went to an upper room and they prayed together. And so there's, you know, some people want wait to mean I can just watch Netflix all day. And the Lord doesn't mind a movie here and there. And, you know, I love good movies and shows and all that. But wait has a prayer element. And that's what makes some Christians uncomfortable. It's like, oh, do I have some responsibility in this? Yes, we have responsibility. Now, we don't make the prophecies happen. We don't make the promises. It's not like we hog tie God's arm behind his back and we demand you. No, we're. Prayer is like a partnership. And when the Lord says, hey, I, wa- I want to do this, then we come over here and we say, Lord, do that. And when the, when the promises of God are, are uh, met with the prayers of the saints, there's just a dynamic explosion and things begin to happen. That's what the Lord is looking for us to pray into, that which he has spoken. Now, this is Genesis to Revelation. I mean, when the Lord spoke to Daniel, Daniel prayed into it and then it was released. I mean, there's so many stories I could go through. There's so much of, of the Bible is promise, prayer, power. Another cool word after, you know, I mean, it just does. That's, that's. But today the challenge is we want God to make a promise and God to do everything and God to do this and we just kind of do nothing. And that just doesn't fly. It's not how it works scripturally. And so what did they do in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 uh, I'm sorry, 114, uh, we get a little bit down, further down the chapter. It says they, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So there was, you know, a few verses before all the, the disciples, the original disciples of Christ. They're like, okay, he said, Wait. I guess that means we go to a prayer meeting. And so that's what they did. They went to the upper room that we know of today. They joined together, and and it says a few verses later, there was about 120 people at this prayer meeting. Okay? One of the things that I find interesting is, you know, most of the vast majority of leaders were men, and yet the Spirit didn't come until they joined with the women. And so maybe there's someone out there thinking, you know, I mean, there's so much debate on leadership and all that. I just say, in the Bible, they got together with the women, and then the Spirit came. So if we want the Spirit, we honor men and we honor women. We need each other, okay? <laughs> in my experience, women and men, there's, they're both equally gifted. They are both can lead and teach and prophesy and pray, and I know that's debatable for some people, but... I look at it right here. It says they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. The Holy Spirit actually thought, I need to put with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his. I want them to know this wasn't just guys, because guys would have quit. The women helped them, and then, you know, they, they keep going day after day after day. It's about seven or eight days, and then we'll get to the, the inbreaking of the Spirit. But I think that's significant. 120 people, men and women, probably some kids running around. No air conditioning. No modern lighting. 
small windows, Middle Eastern heat, no deodorant, one room, all together, kids, no diapers. It says in another verse they were sitting. There's no Holy Spirit yet. Literally nothing that we think takes the anointing. They had none of that. They had none of that. They had no lights. They had no smoke. They had no sound system. They had nothing. They were so dead. I mean, literally the Holy Spirit had not come into the church yet. Imagine how, you know, because prayer meetings are hard, but imagine a prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit literally is not on the earth yet. Okay? And there's no air conditioning. And there's no deodorant. And you're all crammed in. And there's 120 people and kids crying. Diaper. No, I mean, there's no diapers, so there's messes. We just had a diaper issue early. <laughs> That's the story of our life. We have a two-year-old. And so just imagine how hard that prayer meeting might have felt. I mean, I've been in literally thousands of prayer meetings in my life. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. We do at least one a day here. And I've done this for 20 years, give or take. Okay? The reason I'm saying that is prayer is difficult even if you have air conditioning, coffee, air, you know, all that stuff, it's still hard. You remove all of that. And I'm thinking, that's the prayer meeting the Holy Spirit came to. See, all the things we think that the Spirit needs to move, He doesn't need. He doesn't need that. Pentecost, the greatest breakthrough in the history of church life there was nothing but raw prayer. And I, I am giving my life to convince people all you need is people in a room and nothing else. If they will pray, God's Spirit will come. Amen. Because it says it in the Bible. Because it's happened in church history and it, it continues to happen in church history. We just have to believe it. We have to know it's God's role to promise things. It's our role to pray about them. And then at the right time, boom, it breaks through. There is a kind of a thing going on in the spirit out there. There's just, there's people who are teaching, you just love Jesus and do nothing and you'll kind of, I don't know, get revival maybe one day. It's so false. God says, I'm going to give you a promise. Now, your role, you, we don't earn it. We don't stranglehold God. But when we pray, it opens the heavens. It do, it, that's, so God promises we pray, boom, power. Now, how long did it take? It only took seven days. Seven or eight days. I think it was eight, seven or eight days. I had, so it was like a week-ish. They're in a room. They're probably wondering, okay, you said wait. And, as, you know, day one's hard. Day two's harder. Day three's even harder. By day four, everybody wants to quit. And day five, ah. I've been in many amazing, super anointed prayer meetings. And I've been in amazing, uh, I've been in so many prayer meetings that it was so dead. It was like, oh my gosh. But you know what's true? They both work the same. A completely dead prayer meeting or a completely alive prayer meeting, did you know that our feelings don't add any power to God? So if I'm feeling amazing and I have coffee in my system and the air conditioning is great 
it counts the same as if I have none of that. And I say that because some people think, well, I went to the house of prayer on a Tuesday and it was just two of us and it was really oppressive and we just prayed. And that's as powerful as if you felt something. Man, I tell you, there are many challenges to prayer, but one of them is feelings. And I address this often. Some people conclude, well, I went to the prayer meeting. I didn't feel anything. You don't have to. Simply saying, Lord, break in, please send revival. That works. Whether you scream it, whisper it on the mic, off the mic, felt great, didn't feel great. It works. I mean, I've given my life to prayer. I've studied the Bible. I've studied many passages of prayer. There's little whisper prayers that God hears. There's loud prayers that God hears. They're sitting, kneeling, standing. Any way you slice it, God has honored it. Because he's not looking for a, a tone or, or, a, or a physical posture. He's looking for a posture of the heart. He's looking for faith. If we simply believe as a child, Lord, if I pray, you'll do it because you said he honors it. I'm way off the notes by now. Thank you for bearing with me. We're going to have to land this plane very soon. <laughs> all right, since you said so. Okay, all right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. Mandy's like, yeah, I don't know, Curtis. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> are you guys feeling me though? Yeah. Jesus makes these amazing promises, and He says, "Now pray, because I want to fulfill it." And I'm God. I could do anything. I could do it completely without you, but I want you to partner with me. I want this to be a partnership. I want this to be a relationship where I say things, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. So Lord, do it, and then I do it. I, I think to myself, God, you're so powerful. Why do you even involve us? I want relationship. I want it, I want, here, I'm gonna be specific. Mary, I'm just gonna pick on you real quick, okay? It'll be a good, a good kind of picking on, okay? When, when you feel the Lord says something to you and then you say, okay, Lord, and then you just, well, Lord, then just do that. And then he does it. You feel like personally loved. Like I prayed it. You did it. You love me. Oh my goodness. And when we kind of have like a history of like, we prayed it, it happened. You're real. Un- and so that's what he wants. He wants to do that over and over again. He wants you to know Tyler, you lift up your foot. Lord, I just need an extra few dollars. And then somehow a miraculous check comes in the mail. Oh, you know, he wants to have a history of those things. I mean, guys, we have prayed for so many. I remember one night here, I, there's so many stories. I just say the one that comes to mind. There's a group of us right here. Someone, uh, Lord bless that child. I don't know whose child that is. Uh, there was a gathering here and someone said, man, I just need, I need a few bucks. And we literally prayed that night. They went home, opened the mail. There was this random check in the mail for them that was like completely unexpected. And they're just like, oh my gosh, this is, how do you do that, God? I mean, he'd already set it in motion days ahead to get it there, but it was just, we've seen so many things like this. We just have to pray. God wants to honor prayers that are little, you, you know, just little things for our life all the way up to big things affecting the whole earth. And now some people, they only pray like revival in the earth. And God's like, okay, great, I'm going to do that one day. But also pray 
for like specific little things for your life where it's just you and God. Like, Lord, I need provision this week. Lord, help me to pay for my gas because it's, you know, it's so expensive. You know, bless me with a gas card, Lord. We, you can pray little things and, and just rack up those testimonies. You know, some people think, well, it's better to pray the big stuff. Well, but that's not going to happen every day. Like, there's not going to be worldwide revival every day. But there could be things specific to your life happening every day. And you get those testimonies going, then you can believe for the much bigger things. Okay, back to the notes. They were together in prayer. They were men and women together, young and old. Later on in Acts chapter 2, they were with one accord in one place. There was something about getting together and praying. Certainly, we can have prayer meetings all over the city. But there's something about getting together and just going for God together that just does something. Acts chapter 2 comes around. They're on day 7 or 8 of just praying in this hot, non-air-conditioned, small windows. The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly, love that word, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. That's a good prayer meeting all of a sudden. Day one dead, day two dead, day three dead, day four dead, five, six, seven. Now there's tongues of fire. I think we we did something that worked. Friends, I don't want to be, I'm not into being like, um, tongues of fire came. Okay, like, like this is, we, I want to be biblical. I want to be in prayer meetings where tongues of fire come. I want to be in prayer meeting where people get filled with the Spirit and sent out to do the apostolic work of missions. I want to be in prayer meetings where the Spirit is poured out. That's what I want to give my life to. I want to be a part of things like this. And, and sometimes there is a waiting season involved and, and God says just keep waiting keep praying god's promised things keep don't quit imagine if they would have quit on day six or seven well it was boring we just who cares imagine if they would have given up after a couple days but they just kept he said wait he said not to leave so i guess we're here praying and i'm sure a few times they got really cranky at each other and so mary the mother of jesus guys my son is faithful well, where's he at then, Mary? I mean, we've been here all day. I mean, there were probably you know outbursts and all, because when you're t- there in one room, stuff happens. You guys, I mean, the Holy Spirit kind of deleted probably all those details, but I, I mean, I know human nature. You know human nature. There was probably a few tough moments. But I tell you, when Jesus' mom is there, it kind of is probably like, she's like the referee. You know, I just think, there's so many things about this story where I'm like, okay, it wasn't just the disciples and the women. Jesus' mom was there. Like, hard to get out of line when she's there. And his brothers. I mean, the, the family shows up. Another thing I'll comment, this is a total side note. When you commit to prayer, it, it acts as a magnet. It brings spiritual moms and it brings people that you would think, how did they get involved in this? 
Like, you're so out of our league and caliber, like Jesus' mom is at our prayer meeting. What? So there, there's something about when you just pray and you just keep going, people show up that bring stuff to the community. And I think, man, if I was Peter or John or Matthias or Bartholomew, I'm thinking, okay, I want to pray, but I also got Jesus' mom right next to me, so I'm going to pray right. I mean, just put yourself there, right? They're praying to the son she raised. I mean, that, anyway, mind, mind-boggling things here. Lesson number three. The spirit we know is poured out in the most epic and powerful way. They begin to speak in other tongues. The people can literally hear. These new tongues aren't just gibberish. They're known languages. People who are hearing this go, that's my language. Oh, my gosh. And they're interpreting what's being said. They're saying wonderful works God is doing. And so there's this explosion of the Spirit's activity. And what does Peter do? This is significant. This is point number three. Peter stands up because Peter's outspoken. He's always first to speak right. That was part of his personality and gifting. He wasn't always right. But right here he was right on. He gets up and he begins to orient those there with this is biblical because what was unfolding was so new and so dramatic there needed to be leaders who could say this is how we make sense of this and he didn't just pull out some random pamphlet that he was working on he pulls out scripture he says guys this is what joel said what's happening joel prophesied so he references the book of joel Throughout Acts 1 and 2 and throughout most of the New Testament, we see the apostolic community referencing Old Testament Scripture. They're making sense of what's going on using Psalms, the book of Joel, things Jesus said. They were using the Bible to interpret. And I I say that that's important because we're going to enter in. At some point, the Spirit's going to break through again. And we're going to see it in our community, in our nation, in the world. And a a lot's going to shift. There's going to be so many new gifts poured out. I mean, if just speaking in tongues could get the community riled up, what if all nine spiritual gifts start to manifest in fullness? I mean, I just think, oh my goodness. And that's what's coming. I mean, the Holy Spirit is going to come in such power, such conviction, so many things. We're going to need men and women who know the Bible, who go... I know this is new to some of you, but this is what was spoken of in the book of Joel. This is what David and Psalms described. This is is the story. This is how we understand it. There's going to have to be men and women because there's going to need to be some guardrails. I mean, there's always the temptation to just go fully off into left or right field. But Peter would say, guys, this is not some random occurrence. This is Joel. Joel wrote th- about this, that your men, your old men would dream dreams and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'd pour up my spirit and they would prophesy and, and he would go through and he would, he would show from scripture, this is what's going on. And so there is a lesson not only of Jesus's leadership, a lesson not only on the importance of prayer, but the centrality of scripture that we learn from Pentecost. Pentecost was not a departure from the Bible. It wasn't like some new religion. No, no, Pentecost was distinctly Old Testament. It was distinctly biblical. It was just so new. It was just 
an explosion that they needed some men and women to go, okay, let's find this in the Bible. Now, I always say this, if, if someone's teaching something that's not found in the Bible, we, we need to go, eh, I love you, but I, I'm going with the Bible. But I will say this, when God's spirit moves, new things begin to happen that haven't happened before, and that does, just because it's new doesn't mean it's unbiblical. We need fresh eyes to see. Okay, Lord, show me. Show me in Scripture. Where is that? Oh, yeah, there is. There is an answer. There's the women prophesying. Or, oh, yeah, there, there's the prophetic touching someone that's not even saved. Or, you know, there's so many things that are going to happen in revival. And Mandy and I have been saying this for months now. We have this conviction that there's going to be unexpected things happening at a dramatic pace. You know, we've gone through two or three years where so many unexpected things have begun to unfold on a societal level, on a national and international level, you know, beginning with the pandemic that nobody really saw and the the presidential transition and then the the social unrest with the George Floyd. And there's so many, it's going to keep happening. There's going to be pressures. There's going to be unexpected things. And there's going to be unexpected movements of the spirit and there's going to be unexpected people being used by God, and we have to, we have to be open within the, the parameters of Scripture. I've gone way too long. I've poured out my heart. I'm going to land this plane here. One last thing I do want to mention, though. This is just a concluding thought I have here on my, uh, my notes, is uh, a thought on complaining. I know today that it's really popular to complain. I know it's, it's really common on social media, you know, about the uh, president this and, you know, the economy that. And, and I would just want to, I want to encourage us to be those who pray instead of complain. Okay, because the more I give myself to prayer, the more I feel like the enemy's strategy is to just side rail us, to get us focused on, kind of getting negative and focused on using our voice to get and and complaining is so easy and I just think there's almost a competing value system it's like the enemy knows if I can get you complaining about everything you're not going to be in the prayer meeting and so you won't see the promises you won't see the power and so just a real brief Holy Spirit give me grace not to be uh, complaining or murmuring or grumbling about things, help me to just crucify that. And help me to, whenever I see something, just help me to pray about that. Because there was a whole generation of Israelites, you guys know the story, they were grumbling and complaining. They didn't get to the promised land. Like it was promised, but they grumbled and complained and murmured so much they didn't get in except a couple of them who kept their spirit right. And I have a fear that uh, the fear of the Lord is that many believers, their promises are kind of hanging out there until they get this issue settled and they begin to, tr- to say, I'm not going to do my complaining ministry anymore. I'm going to get my prayer ministry going. And I feel like the Lord says, yeah, cut that one off. And no one's perfect. We just, if we've been complaining a lot, we just say, Lord, I repent. Help me to get over that and help me to be praying more. Help me to be at the prayer meetings. Help me to be 
contending for the things God has spoken over my life or family or ministry or church or city or whatever. And, and you know, when we're tempted to complain or curse or slander, we just, oh, Lord, I want, I want to pray blessing and ask you to move in that way. And so just wanted to throw that, lob that out there at the very end um, and just have the Holy Spirit make that uh, relevant however he may. But let me just go ahead and I'll conclude there and I'll pray and uh, we'll see what the Lord has next. But Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that now you would just make it alive to us Make it real to our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would be reminded that, Jesus, the way you lead us is you make promises and you fulfill them. Help us to be prayerful. Lord, I pray that we would be those, when you've called us to enter into a season of waiting, that we would be prayerful in the waiting, God. And I pray that we would always keep Scripture central to what we do as Christians, God. That even when the Spirit's moving, Lord, we would honor your Scripture we would honor what this biblical revelation is, Lord. We would not, um, you know, go to the left or to the right. We would just stay anchored in the truth. And we pray for special grace in an hour where it's so easy to complain and vent and do things of that nature. Help us to be a prayerful people, God. I pray for grace for myself, for this prayer community, and for the church at large throughout the world that we would be those who overcome the, the urge and the impulse to kind of lash out with complaining against politicians and various things, Lord, and we would use our voice with wisdom to intercede and pray and make our petitions before the, the highest court before you, Lord Jesus. Help us in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be poured out this weekend in a special way as churches meet as they talk about Pentecost, or maybe even if they don't, we pray that your spirit would move in a special way, God. And we want to even lift up this uh, event at the Tower Park. We pray that your spirit would be poured out in a historic way in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.